Eloise Greenfield from Child Times, a three-generation memoir by Eloise Glynn Little Greenfield. They say Mrs. Rovinia Mayo delivered more than a hundred babies in and around Parmalee. I was one of them. Mama wasn't expecting me until the end of the month, but I fooled her. I was ready to see the world on the 17th of May. Daddy was downtown playing checkers in front of Mr. Slim Gordon's store, and Mama wanted to wait until he came home. But his mother told her, that youngin ain't going to wait for nobody. I'm going to get Mrs. Mayo now. I was born at six o'clock that evening. My great aunt Mary was there to welcome me and both of my grandmothers, Willamann Little and Patty Ridley Jones. My brother Wilbur was there too, but he didn't think my arrival was anything to get excited about. Mrs. Mayo had helped him make his grand entrance just the year before. When Daddy came home, I was all of half an hour old, and did I give him a surprise. First Days It's the first day of my life, my remembered life. I'm three years old, sitting on the floor with Mama, cutting out a picture for my scrapbook a picture of a loaf of bread. Cutting it out and pasting it in my book with the flour and water paste I had helped to make. As far as I know, that was the day my life began. My school life began two years later. Mama walked my cousin Vilma and me down P Street, through the open doors of John F. Cook School, and into Mrs. Staley's kindergarten class. Vilma and I were both scared. I was scared quiet. She was scared loud. I sat squeezed up in my chair and Vilma screamed. A play. When I was in the fifth grade, I was famous for a whole day and all because of a play. The teacher had given me a big part, and I didn't want it. I liked to be in plays where I could be part of a group, like being one of the talking trees, or dancing, or singing in the glee club. But having to talk by myself, uh-uh. I used to slide down in my chair and stare at my desk while the teacher was giving out the parts so she wouldn't pay any attention to me but this time it didn't work. She called on me anyway. I told her I didn't want to do it, but she said I had to. I guess she thought it would be good for me. On the day of the play, I didn't make any mistakes. I remembered all of my lines. Only nobody in the audience heard me. I couldn't make my voice come out loud. For the rest of the day, I was famous. Children passing by my classroom door, children on the playground at lunchtime, kept pointing at me saying, that's that girl. That's the one who didn't talk loud enough. I felt so bad, I wanted to go home. 
But one good thing came out of it all. The teacher was so angry, so upset, she told me that as long as I was in that school, I'd never have another chance to ruin one of her plays. And that was such good news, I could stand being famous for a day. Langston Terrace I fell in love with Langston Terrace the very first time I saw it. Our family had been living in two rooms of a three-story house when Mama and Daddy saw the newspaper article telling of the plans to build it. It was going to be a low-rent housing project in Northeast Washington, and it would be named in honor of John Mercer Langston, the famous black lawyer, educator, and congressman. So many people needed housing and wanted to live there, many more than there would be room for. They were all filling out applications, hoping to be one of the 274 families chosen. My parents filled out one too. I didn't want to move. I knew our house was crowded. There were 11 of us, six adults and five children. But I didn't want to leave my friends and I didn't want to go to a strange place and be the new person in a neighborhood and a school where most of the other children already knew each other. I was eight years old, and I had been to three schools. We had moved five times since we'd been in Washington, each time trying to get more space and a better place to live. But rent was high, so we'd always lived in a house with relatives and friends and shared the rent. One of the people in our big household was Lily, Daddy's cousin and Mama's best friend. She and her husband also applied for a place in the new project. And during the months that it was being built, Lily and Mama would sometimes walk 15 blocks just to stand and watch the workmen digging holes and laying bricks. They'd just stand there watching and wishing. And at home, that was all they could talk about. When we get our new place, if we get our new place, Lily got her good news first. I can still see her and Mama standing at the bottom of the hall steps, hugging and laughing and crying, happy for Lily, then sitting on the steps, worrying and wishing again for Mama. Finally, one evening, a woman came to the house with our good news, and Mama and Daddy went over and picked out the house they wanted. We moved on my ninth birthday. Wilbur, Gerald, and I went to school that morning from one house, and when Daddy came to pick us up, he took us home to another one. All the furniture had been moved while we were in school. Langston Terrace was a lovely birthday present. It was built on a hill. A group of tan brick houses and apartments with a playground as its center. The red mud surrounding the concrete walks had not yet been covered with black soil and grass seed and the holes that would soon be homes for young trees were filled with rainwater. But it still looked beautiful to me. We had a whole house all to ourselves. 
upstairs and downstairs. Two bedrooms, and the living room would be my bedroom at night. Best of all, I wasn't the only new person. Everybody was new to this little community, and by the time school opened in the fall, we had gotten used to each other and had made friends with other children in the neighborhood, too. I guess most of the parents thought of the new place as an in-between place. They were glad to be there, but their dream was to save enough money to pay for a house that would be their own. Saving was hard, though, and slow, because each time somebody in a family got a raise on the job, it had to be reported to the manager of the project so that the rent could be raised, too. Most people stayed years longer than they had planned to, but they didn't let that stop them from enjoying life. They formed a resident council to look into any neighborhood problems that might come up. They started a choral group and presented music and poetry programs on Sunday evenings in the social room or on the playground. On weekends, they played horseshoes and softball and other games. They had a reading club that met once a week at the Langston branch of the public library after it opened in the basement of one of the apartment buildings. The library was very close to my house. I could leave by my back door and be there in two minutes. The playground was right in front of my house. And after my sister Vidi was born and we moved a few doors down to a three-bedroom house, I could just look out of my bedroom window to see if any of my friends were out playing. There were so many games to play and things to do. We played hide-and-seek at the lamppost, paddle tennis and shuffleboard, dodgeball and jacks. We danced in fireplug showers, jumped rope to rhymes, played bouncy-bouncy-bolly, swinging one leg over a bouncing ball, played baseball on a nearby field, had parties in the social room, and bus trips to the beach. In the playroom, we played ping pong and pool, learned to sew and embroider and crochet. For us, Langston Terrace wasn't an in-between place. It was a growing up place, a good growing up place, neighbors who cared, family and friends, and a lot of fun. Life was good, not perfect, but good. We knew about problems, heard about them, saw them, lived through some hard ones ourselves, but our community wrapped itself around us, put itself between us and the hard knocks to cushion the blows. It's been many years since I moved away, but every once in a long while I go back just to look at things and remember. The large stone animals that decorated the playground are still there. A walrus, a hippo, a frog, and two horses. They've started to crack now, but I remember when they first came to live with us. They were friends to climb on or to lean against or to gather around in the evening. You could sit on the frog's head and look way out over the city at the tall trees and rooftops.
Look at the photographs. Read the caption. Clockwise from left. Weston Little and children Gerald and Eloise. Langston Terrace, Washington, D.C., 1938. Patty Ridley-Jones, 1971. Eloise Little, 1932. Now look at the pictures on the following page. Read the caption. Clockwise from left. Eloise Little and Bobby Greenfield, 1948. Vera and Vidi Little, Langston Terrace, 1949. Wilbur Little, 1976. Nowadays, whenever I run into old friends, mostly at a funeral or maybe a wedding, after we've talked about how we've been and what we've been doing and how old our children are, we always end up talking about our child time in our old neighborhood. And somebody will say, one of these days we ought to have a Langston reunion. That's what we always called it, just Langston, without the terrace. I guess because it sounded more homey. And that's what Langston was. It was home. <laughs>